Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Thank you so much for tuning in to our show today. For those of you who are interested to uh, learn more about the bonus episodes, we so far released three bonus episodes in the relationship between mental health illnesses and sexual dysfunctions. This week's episode is around eating disorders and its impact on our sexual health. So if you're interested, please go to the show notes and click on the on the bonus episode so you can tune into that show. I am very excited today to have Dr. Jeffrey Lodoyle on our show. He's a board-certified urologist, and he talks to us about penile implants and what's the process like and who might be a good candidate. And I'm so excited that he accepted our invitation to come on the show because he talks about how effective the surgery can be. And at times I get clients in my office feeling uh, rejected, defeated, because perhaps they tried some medication with mixed results when they have issues with erectile dysfunction and they feel there's no solution for them out there. And it's impacting uh, one's self-image if they're feeling they're not able to show up truly the way they want to in in the sexual relation uh, that they want to have. And I always, always tell my client, if you're struggling, there is a solution out there. You don't need to settle to kind of having bad to mediocre sex or no sex. So um, for that reason, I thought it's fantastic to have Dr. Lodoyle to talk to us about his experience of doing this surgery. Dr. Jeffrey Lodoyle is a board-certified urologist who specializes in male sexual dysfunction, trauma, and constructive surgery. He trained at the USC Institute of Urology after completing his urology residency at USC and further fellowship training in in prosthesis surgery under Dr. Stuart Boyd, a world-renowned reconstructive cancer surgeon and authority on reconstruction of the lower urinary tract and urologic prosthesis. Born and raised in L.A., he completed his undergrad and medical school education at the Keck School of Medicine of USC, where he achieved degrees in biological sciences, international relations, and doctor of medicine. Dr. Lodoyle has completed so many different research studies. You can go to the uh, link to the USC website that's in the show notes and uh, learn about all of his researches that he has done. Also uh, was awarded a grant to improve the preoperative patient experience at LAUSC. And he's an active participant in several committees aimed at improving the delivery of sophisticated healthcare to the underserved. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Jeff Lodoyle. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Jeff Lodoyle on our show today. Dr. Lodoyle, welcome to our show. Thank you very much for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show. From what I'm hearing, I I hear that you are the person for penal prosthesis and all the wonderful work that you're doing. It seems like it's very well known. Yeah, no, I've definitely, um, I have a lot of patients that are very happy. So 
Fortunately, patients have to get this, but if they have to get at it, in general, they're very happy afterwards. So we're just happy to help people out. Fantastic. And I'm so again thrilled to have you because I get a bunch of clients and listeners asking about this. So it's really a wonderful opportunity to have a physician who specializes on this on this show. So let us start talking about the the struggles that people are facing with erectile dysfunction. I'm a sex therapist, so I I usually approach things from a like psychosomatic and also psychological aspect of things. So what are some of the ways that a urologist can help men when they struggle with erectile dysfunction? So oftentimes, primary care physicians are the front line for patients with ED. And sometimes urologists end up seeing patients on during the first setting. But for the most part, a patient will usually go to an internal medicine doctor or their family care doctor and say, you know what, doc, my erections aren't as good. And I just get started empirically on some pills, and that's about it. Now, for these pills to be effective, you actually have to have a very thorough discussion with a patient on how best to take it, timing of when to take it, and they're also very expensive. So we often see the patient that says, you know, my, my primary care physician started me on some Viagra, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, what do I do? So that's where, that's where we come into play. So we can actually then dive deeper into, all right, what are the treatments that you're on? And also look at the rest of your health history to figure out why are you having erectile dysfunction? And that's where we come into play, that we've got lots of tools that we can both diagnose as well as to treat ED just beyond pills. That's fantastic to hear because, as you, as you mentioned, most of the time I hear my clients going to like general practitioners or primary doctors and get the, this uh, Viagra prescription or other prescriptions and they know how to use it. At times they feel like they think like the erection needs to come out of vacuum. They don't know it needs to be a context. A and yes, yes. So it's interesting that you're sharing with us that that's your experience as well. And what are like what are the steps before someone would be a candidate for penile prosthesis? Yeah, so that, I, mean, I always tell patients that the penile prosthesis is the option of last resort, but it also is a very, very good option, so not to be afraid of it. But up until that point, there's many treatment options available. Now, obviously, the best treatment option is the one that gives you a spontaneous erection without the assistance of anything. And so our national guidelines, our national organization recently released guidelines to really help urologists manage ED in a whole body type of way. So when you first see a patient with ED, you first look at their medical history and you say, well, well, you're obese, you're diabetic, you've got high blood pressure. Well, those are all reasons why you're having some erectile dysfunction. So I always advise patients the importance of lifestyle modification. So weight loss, improved diet, as well as moderate levels of cardiovascular exercise. Now, if you follow each of those things independently, you see that patients will have improvements in erectile function by the six-month mark. So if you combine all three of those strategies, in general, patients will see an improvement in their overall health, but also that will translate to improved directions. Now, beyond lifestyle modification, I also, as you know, I really involve now sexual therapists because there is a very, very strong psychogenic component to erections. Mm -hmm. And even if you give someone pills and you do all those things, well, if they have that psychological component, that component in and of itself will counteract any efficacy of the pills. So it's very important to have a multidisciplinary team taking care of patients with ED. Now, 
I see two classes of patients or three. I see the young guys. I see the middle-aged men that have bad comorbidities. And then I see the guys that have had treatment for cancer. Treatment for cancer, that in general causes more of a structural vascular issue. And that way, you have really have to go down the pathway of, well, you do pills, you do injections, and in general, sexual therapy isn't as effective. So let's just say, after you've done lifestyle modification, you then go to pills. And pills are, you know, very widely available. There's now, you know, online mail order, web-based prescription platforms that allow this. So it's very easy, very accessible. And that's a separate discussion in and of itself, because I think that young men are, are, are now becoming addicted to these medic- medications. Mm-hmm. But when pills don't work, then there's other steps. So there's injections, which sound a lot scarier than they actually are. There's a vacuum erection device, which is an external vacuum. And then there's also intraurethral suppositories. And ultimately, if you need it, then you can do the penile prosthesis. And, and you're right, I hear all the time that people are getting good results from different, different ways and different approaches uh, when it comes to treatments of ED. And it's interesting at times people kind of undermine uh, the relational component of things when if they are in a relationship yeah. or the context that they're trying to be sexual, it might not work for them. And that might lead to them kind of having ED issues. But also about the injection piece, I have clients that they had really, really good experiences with that, uh, with them. So Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily like people think, oh God, I'm injecting on my penis. It's horrible. It's painful. But that's not what I'm hearing. No. So the injection itself is with a very small needle. If you were younger and you had a TB test when you're in school, it's actually the same size needle. So it doesn't really hurt. And the injection itself is on the side of the penis near the base of it. And that's just basically skin. Now, you're not injecting the head of your penis. That would obviously be very sensitive, but it's actually just the side. And that in of itself is not a very painful thing. Now, there are some people that have a phobia of needles, but in general, once someone, and we always do a diagnostic injection in clinic to see whether they would respond, but after we inject them, they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I can easily do that. Now, the benefits of that injection is that it, in general, for most patients, will actually give you a reasonable erection. But there are some drawbacks. There is a lack of spontaneity associated with this injection. So whenever someone wants to have an erection for whatever they want to do, they do have to, in general, go to a fridge, drop the medication, and then inject themselves. And in especially older men, the opportunity to have sexual encounters is rarer and rarer by the year. So that can kind of break up the mood a little bit. So that brings in a different issue. No, that that is true. And you're right, for people who are not in a long-term relationship, if they don't have the partner, then it requires a specific kind of conversation to have. So that might impact the kind of possibility of having having like intercourse with a new partner. Can It can impact it. I mean, it's not impossible. So of course, people have can have conversations about it up front, but that can be a barrier for some people. So I guess I wanted to make sure that we have time to explore the penile prosthesis thing. I guess first question I have is the penile, because I've seen somewhere, not in a medical literature, but people referring to it to penile implant. Is that the correct yeah. term? Um, they go, they're synonymous. So okay. people call it the penile prosthesis. Other people call it the penile implant. In my practice, I refer to it as both. So they're interchangeable. because It's essentially that. It's just an implant. 
So that, that would be a correct. So how does the penile prosthesis work? So there's three types of penile prosthesis. There's, and I would say there's the, there's the very reliable, there's the Honda Accord, and then there's all the way up to the Rolls-Royce. Mm-hmm. And the, the most reliable one that's probably the simplest to implant for someone that doesn't do a lot of these is what's called a semi-rigid or malleable prosthesis. And all that is is two malleable rods that are implanted inside the penis. Now, in my practice, there are very, very few patients that I implant this in because, in my view, if you if you are a candidate for an inflatable device, it is way more natural than having malleable rods. But there are some patients out there that elect to have that for insurance reasons and whatnot. But that is the simplest type of prosthesis. And that surgery takes about 20 to 30 minutes. Now, after that, then you go towards what we call inflatable devices. And in my mind, there is essentially no, there is no contraindication for getting an inflatable penile prosthesis. And in my practice, that is 99% of what I implant. And the reason for that is that it gives the patient the ability to control their erection. So you can have your penis as flaccid as you want naturally, and then you can also inflate it to the maximum erection that your penis is capable of achieving. And it's all controlled by a pump, which is self-contained in inside your scrotum. Scrotum is the skin surrounding the testicles. And actually, the skin is very loose. Obviously, the testicles are very sensitive, but the skin in it is almost insensitive. It's just skin. So you can easily place pumps subtly so that the patient can grasp it, pump it, and there's two buttons. There's one to inflate it and one to deflate it. So it sounds mechanical. It is, but it also is the most natural way of restoring erectile function for people that where medications don't work. With the semi-rigid one, is it that there are going to be some elements of erection all the time? For example, in locker room, people are able to see that they have this implant? Yes. Yes, and that's, that's, those are the drawbacks. This is what I tell patients. The semi-rigid device is neither flaccid nor is it fully rigid. So it's all in between, which is, and it also lacks some stability as well during sexual positions. In my, in my practice, if you're able to implant a, an, an inflatable device, that's really what you should go with. Um, but there are a select cases where you do a, a malleable device. Well, you're right. If there is a possibility of having it like a natural way that it's not obvious to other times and it gives people this kind of more control over the uh, how, how does it look and uh, like how, how natural it looks, it, it makes sense to go with the, with the other options. So tell me about, so I, I bet our listeners are very excited about this because one of the common questions I get is around issues around erectile dysfunction. And so I'm kind of curious, who do you think is a really good candidate for this type of surgery? So before a patient gets an implantation, we go through the algorithm of treating erectile dysfunction. We obviously make sure that there, if there's any psychogenic components, those are addressed. We try them out on pills, and oftentimes we'll also see whether they respond to injection. Now, especially after cancer operations or in patients that have bad high blood pressure, bad diabetes, that has really ruined the vascular anatomy of the penis, injections even stop working. And so it is those patients, those patients that either don't like the idea of needles or injections are not effective, that the penile prosthesis really is the best option for them if they want to get erections fixed. So, and those patients could be 
anywhere in age. Uh, we've implanted patients that unfortunately have just almost congenital bad erections starting at the age of 30 mm-hmm. all the way up to the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. So there really is no age limit. It's just dependent on the patient's motivation more than anything. And I think what a gift that uh, you guys are able to offer this to patients, because I would imagine a few decades ago, the options were, it was very, they were very limited, but right now people can address these issues. And again, from what I'm hearing, it's very effective uh, for most people when they get the surgery, when they're a good candidate and they go to a, obviously a very uh, skilled urologist like yourself, I hear about some possible risk and side effects. What are those? So the surgery itself takes typically around 45 minutes, and the biggest risk, and it is outpatient surgery, the biggest risk, however, are two things. Infection, because you are putting a prosthetic or an implant, just like people that get breast implants, you know, they're always counted on the risk of an infection. And that risk is around 1%. Obviously, the more unhealthy someone is, if they have uncontrolled diabetes, such as those things, their risk maybe goes up to about 3%. So that's the number one risk. The other risk is mechanical failure. So these are mechanical parts. And I tell patients, these are very, very reliable. They've been around for about 30 years. They've obviously evolved, gotten more sophisticated. But it just works by simple hydraulics. But it's a mechanical device at the end of the day, and parts can break. Now, that risk is about 10% after 10 years. So if you follow a patient out for 10 years, most of them will do just fine. But there are some patients that something will break. If something breaks, your penis won't fall off. Nothing bad will happen. All that needs to happen is we need to find the part that's broken and replace it. That's really good news because I hear that at times, I guess, like when I was getting training in sex therapy, one of the information I got that it's either works for you or doesn't. If there's a mechanical challenge, they're kind of you're out of luck. But what I'm hearing is like any other device, it's something that you can fix it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very fixable. And that surgery, as long as you go to someone who's experienced fixing these, um, is a very minor operation and you go home the same day. How common it is for people to have mechanical issues? Because I would imagine infection is the risk with all, any kind of surgery, but like mechanical issues, something specific to the surgery. So I always tell patients, so if you, if you leave your car out in the lawn and you don't drive it for one year, will the car start? No. So the, the same thing happens with these devices. If you have this device and you don't use it, you don't pump it, and then after a year you want to use it again and it doesn't work, well, don't be surprised because just parts get stuck. So I always tell patients to pump up the device at least once a week, even if you're not looking for sexual activity or using it, just do it just to maintain the health of the device. Then conversely, other people can break it when they are, in general, when they've got longer penises and if they use it a lot and very aggressively. So those guys can actually just break one of the cylinders. And again, that doesn't break your penis. All it is is that it creates a leak in the system and you have to replace one of the cylinders. So it's either the guys that don't use it or the guys that use it very aggressively that actually develop the problem. So for people who are getting this surgery, is that something they pump only for partner sex and for masturbation? It's not necessary or anytime you would want to get an erection, you need to pump it? Every time you want to have an erection or just some filling in your penis, you can do that. Now, there are some guys out there that want to be showers rather than growers at all times. Mm-hmm. And there are some guys that actually leave this partially inflated throughout the day just 
for their own body image. And that's something that you can do. It doesn't hurt to do that. And there's also some guys, especially after cancer operations, where their penis retracts inwards. And the reason for that is that there's less blood flow in there. And what is hard to grasp is that if your penis retracts inwards and you become older, it actually is more difficult for you to pee standing up. So I tell patients, this device is not only to help you with sexual activity, but also can just help with standing to pee, which is something that many men take for granted. And they don't really realize how important that is at some point until you lose that ability. Oh, interesting. So that there is an element that kind of help them with self-image and also kind of all the other bodily functions that they can kind of restore that, like, for example, standing when you're being standing, which is, which is fantastic. What's the level of satisfaction afterward and under kind of partner satisfaction? So both of those things have been studied and patient satisfaction is in excess of 90%. Oh, wow. And I would argue that, and I would argue that the 10% that are not satisfied are patients that at baseline should have been seeing you and are not satisfied with their sexual lives in general. So they may be placing blame on the prosthesis. Now, partner satisfaction, though, have also studied and is in excess of 90%. And if you put it simply, well, this device enables you to have an erection that lasts as long as you and your partner want it to last. So you know, whether your partner wants to have an erection that lasts for one hour, well, the ball is in their court. They can have that option, which is something that is impressive. That's fantastic news because, uh, first of all, to the point of the satisfaction, patient satisfaction on their partners, 90% is huge because of like any other surgery, I would imagine that that wouldn't be this much. And also the other piece is even for young, healthy male, having an erection is part of kind of like being able to have great sexual uh, life. So as you said, that it makes sense that 10% of people is possible. There are other factors contributing to them not being satisfied with their quality of the sex they're having or the satisfaction that they're get, getting out of it. Does the size of erection change? Can, can people kind of like request to have a bigger penises or that's just the function is only for erection? So your penis is more than what meets the eye. So your penis extends both on the external way, but also it dives backwards towards bone internally, which you can't see. So these cylinders are meant to fit that entire length of your penis. And during surgery, we measure what you measure. And whatever you measure, we then size and put cylinders that measure that. Now, depending on what cylinder we choose, because there are actually different cylinders, there are some cylinders that can expand in both length and girth. And so with proper rehabilitation and with stretching, can you make some marginal increases? Maybe. But I always tell patients, don't expect to get bigger than you ever were. But the goal is to get you back to where you were before you, got, before you lost your erection. And I think that can be a significant improvement for at least many of the clients that I, I do work with. The other kind of a tangential question I have is at times client coming to me and telling me about this penile enlargement medication and supplement. And I always tell them, you know, I don't, I don't know any research about that. Is there any effective like medication out there? My, my intuition is no, but I'm kind of curious. Is there any effective medication for that? No. So if you actually look at the studies out there right now, none of them have actually shown any safe increases in length. Now, a lot of my patients that I see, because I'm a reconstructive surgeon, are patients that get P 
Latina enlargement operations in Thailand, Mexico, overseas, and they come back with just profound complications from them. And I basically have to reconstruct the penis completely with skin grafts and work with the plastic surgeons. So I see more of the horror stories of people that were convinced that a penile enlargement surgery is the right option for them. And now they're dealing with the after effects. So if there was something safe that we could do, we'd all be doing it. But as board certified urologists, especially me as a reconstructive urologist, I haven't seen anything that is safe to do. And thank you so much for sharing that with us because people like, you know, all these kind of medications and supplements, they make these claims and people go and get these surgeries, as you said, that at times turn, can turn to these horror stories. So uh, thank you yep. for confirming that. I guess the other question that I have is around how soon can people resume their sexual activities after getting the surgery? Four weeks. So I always tell patients that we, we always want your incisions to close completely. And four weeks typically isn't enough time just for that discomfort and the post-operative swelling to resolve. And so four weeks is the minimum. Um, some of my colleagues out there may even just do two weeks. But I think that may be a little bit too early because, you know, if you are using this for the first time, you want to be very comfortable doing it. And I don't want you to really be in discomfort while using it. Is it any kind of limitations around sort of sexual activity that you may or may not be able to do shortly after the surgery, after that four weeks? None. No limitations. There's no, um, you, you can get back to your normal routine, whether it's exercise, weightlifting, and there are no uh, limitations in terms of what your particular sexual activity is that you desire. This is, this, again, this is a fantastic information to have around the process of surgery and also aftercare. Is there any, anything related to the penal prosthesis uh, surgery or process that you feel it's important for our listeners to know that we didn't address today? The funny thing is, is that most ED treatments, such as pills, such as injections, are not covered by insurance, which is very counterintuitive because surgery is covered by insurance in general. So, that, that brings up a separate discussion entirely, but a lot of people are intimidated by the notion, well, this is an elective procedure. It's, it's actually, yes, it's an elective, but it's not a cosmetic operation. This is a functional quality of life operation. And as a result, you shouldn't feel ashamed of having to need this. If you need this, don't be afraid of it. It's actually a very, very effective treatment option that has stood the test of time and that patients and partners are very satisfied with. And thank you for validating that because I feel there's some level of shame at times related to people wanting to look into the surgery because they think it's elective, therefore it's just maybe purely cosmetic or it's not necessary, but it's restoring sexual uh, wellness for many of the clients and it can improve their quality of life because sexual health is very important. Yeah. I mean, it should never be underestimated the importance of that for body image and just for own a whole body well-being. Absolutely. Again, it's a gift that we have you locally in LA. And I, I hear that people are coming to you for surgery from all around the world. So Dr. Ladoyle, if people are interested to get the surgery, they want to come in to see you, what are some of the places that they can kind of find your information or they can book an appointment with you? So I, I'm part of the large USC urology practice. There's 22 of us, but I am the, um, uh, I'm the specialist in placing penile implants, so I'm obviously quite busy, but I'm always receptive to email as well as to just, if they want to call my office, they're more than welcome to. But email typically is the best way to get a hold of me, and my email is available online. 
And I'd be happy to answer any questions that people might have or if they want to set up a consultation. I always like to see new patients within two weeks. So if they tell you that, oh, my wait's two months, well, just email me and I'll make it happen. Oh, thank you. That, that's very good information to, <laughs> to have if someone is interested. Yeah. Guys, I leave the link to the show notes to Dr. Lodoyle's page and also uh, his information and email uh, you can find in the show notes. Dr. Lodoyle, I know how busy you are and I'm so grateful that you took out time out of your busy schedule to have this conversation with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I hope you found my interview with Dr. Lodoyle helpful. I certainly learned a lot about the process of the surgery. I had clients getting the surgery and they were very happy with the results. And in general, I love that how Dr. Lodoyle talked to us about different different steps that one can implement in order to improve their issues around erection. So if you are struggling, the good starting place would be to kind of go find a team that will help you with this. Usually it's a sex therapist and a physician that are uh, specialized in this area. And again, if you have any question, I would be to I would be happy to find resources for you. If you're in LA, you're welcome to come to me. If you're in other areas, I can help you to find a specialist that can help you with the erectile challenges that you have. Anyhow, that was our show today. If you like this show, I really appreciate if you subscribe and and write us an honest review in iTunes. It helps us to reach a broader audience and I would be really grateful for your support. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.